special treat this morning. Um, Pastor Jeff Gilmore is going to be opening up God's Word and teaching us this morning. And uh, just want to take this moment to, you know, last week we looked at Philippians chapter 2 um, when Paul wrote about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And as he sent, if you remember Epaphroditus, his, his instruction to the church of Philippi was to receive him with joy and to honor such men. And um, this morning with Pastor Gilmore, uh, that's our charge as well. We receive him as he opens up God's word and teaches us from God's word. We receive him with great joy um, and we honor him. Um, we honor him because he is a man who has given his life um, to leading and to shepherding God's sheep. And uh, Parkview would not be, see Parkview is today, we would not be a church in three locations. There would be no Spot Faith Academy um, East Campus if it wasn't for his faithful teaching of God's word over the years that he has served this church. And so um, let's, yeah, honor him, absolutely. When I think of the temptation in our society, it's to remove this book um, from the center of God's church, and we see that happening all around us. And one of the things I'm most thankful for Jeff is that he was his faithful and consistent teaching of this book, um, and he placed it at the very center of who we are as a church. Um, and if there's a legacy that continues, it's because of, of his commitment to that. Um, I think of just real quick, one quick story, Jeff, before you come up here, okay? <laughs> I just was thinking of this while I was standing there. Um, the first time that we had, shortly after we opened the spot some 15 plus years ago, um, the first time I remember you coming down and kind of seeing it was this program, we were doing after school programming, it was virtually like kindergarten through high school, it was just craziness in here. And I remember you walking in the gym, I don't know if you remember this story, I've heard you tell it before, but there was a little boy who was there playing, I mean there was basketballs and footballs going in every direction, and w were you with Don Tab when he maybe came down with Don, was that that time? Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think there, there was a little boy who told him to go long for a pass, right? And, yeah. And Jeff went long, but there was no pass, all right? So I remember kind of seeing that and hearing about it, thinking to myself, we're done, right? It's over. Um, but I'm just thinking of you standing up here this morning behind this pulpit. And I'm just probably guessing you had no idea that it would turn into this. Neither did I. So um, it's, it's awesome, and I just, you're a big part of that. So I just want to honor you this morning, okay? Why don't you come up and I'll pray for us. Father God, thank you for this brother. Thank you for this man. What he's meant to me and to this church. Just pray you bless him as he opens your word in this building, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Doug. Go long. Thank you. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> it was it was that same that same day that uh, gee, I thought my pulpit was big. This is massive. <laughs> it was that same day that um, I think Mike and Mark Raker were there, and this this little guy that told me to go long. Um, Mike goes, 
do you know who that was? And you all were having a, a dinner, I think, that afternoon. You were having a dinner, and I just had a sport jacket on. I, I think I was the only one in the whole church that had a sport jacket on, uh, because I came over from Parkview. And um, he, Mike Raker goes, do you know who this is? And he looked at me with this jacket on, and he goes, he's the police. And I thought, no. <laughs> and I thought, that's the reason God so desperately needs Faith Academy, a church, uh, to reach people that the only thing in their mind when they see somebody with a jacket on is that's, that's the police. You know, and um, thank God, thank God for Faith Academy. So, Doug, honestly, the honor is all mine that I'm here. Believe me, it's, it's a joy, it's a privilege uh, to be here without a doubt. So let me just pray real quick, and then we'll open God's word. Lord, uh, thank you so much um, just for all that you have done, just over the years, how faithful you have been. And through your faithfulness, you cause all of us to experience an awful lot of joy. So I pray now, Lord, that as we look at Philippians 3, uh, that you will allow us then to manifest this joy as well as we uh, opt to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you do have your Bibles, open up to Philippians 3. We'll be looking at the first number of verses 1 to 11. I want to start with a question, and, and that is because it's joy throughout the whole book. 17 times you see joy or rejoice in Philippians. And uh, why then do Christians so quickly lose their joy? You know, I, I've got to confess this morning, the last time I, I hit joy was a few weeks ago at Parkview. It was 30 below zero. Uh, there was ice. You know, it was just a horrible, horrible day. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, why today? And I've got to preach on joy. So then I was thinking, well, today, at least it's not 30 below. It's just a few degrees below or right around zero. But there's no snow. And so this morning I was downstairs just reviewing real quickly. And all of a sudden there was this, there was this boom, this pop in the house. And Cheryl said, Jeff, what was that? And I said, what was what? And then I thought maybe I heard something. I wasn't sure. And I thought, well, maybe they, because Eva, Eva was here. Cheryl was upstairs. I was downstairs. You know, maybe they dropped a pan or something. I didn't know. And she said, no, no, it was like an explosion or something, a gunshot. And I'm going, oh, no, I'm supposed to preach on joy again. And uh, so she sort of pointed to the garage. And so when I opened the door of the garage, sure enough, one of the springs on the garage door openers popped and that, that was the explosion so I think and already you know I'm starting to grumble already oh no there's another $200 down the drain you know that kind of stuff and, and so it was a, a real check that I desperately need this because I think a lot of times we, we spring a joy leak and, and the joy just starts to dissipate and uh, it is a reoccurring theme and, and actually the passage we're looking at today starts there again uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To, to write the same things to you 17 times is no trouble to me. And it's a good thing. It's a safe thing uh, for you. And I think, without a doubt, the Apostle Paul is a preacher because he writes in closing or finally, and then he goes on for two more chapters, you know, so... <laughs> So if in the next few minutes I say, and in closing, you'll know we've still got a long way to go, okay? <laughs> but what this passage is about, really, is that Paul is saying there are really two options for living life. There's only two roads, two options for life, 
And only one road, only one option really results in what the Bible would call real joy. Uh, one option would be, and he talks a lot about this, sort of a, a works righteousness. And that's just life lived apart from Christ. And, and you might say it's where, where I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And, and it's a life that is lived that puts a lot of confidence in yourself, a lot of confidence in your own flesh. But the amazing thing is, Paul says, that kind of life, that path, uh, really ends in, in garbage. And he uses this word, uh, dung really is the word. I mean, it, it's the opposite of joy. It's just, it's trash. Uh, so that's one option for living life. It's works righteousness. But then he says, really, the other option that will end in joy is this faith righteousness. It's a righteousness that only comes by way of God, by faith in Christ, uh, that, that we might really get to the point where we gain Christ. We, we gain Christ. Uh, we will be found in Christ. We get to know Christ. And not only is there joy there, but there's also resurrection power there. And then a few weeks when we get to chapter 4, we're gonna, that's where, where peace is as well. So let's, I want to give you a slide to show you yeah, there it is right there. Those, those are the two options in life where either I'm the Lord or Jesus is the Lord. Bottom line, th these are the two ways of life where I try and do it myself. I'm the captain of my faith or it's a faith righteousness. It's done by my energy or effort or God's gift. It results in, in dung or it results in joy. It results in resurrection power and it results in, we'll see in another chapter, uh, it results in peace. So what I'd like for us to do is look at some of these safeguards. How do you maintain your, gar your, your joy or these qualities of faith righteousness? I want us to look at that and uh, maybe give some tips on, on what Paul gives, some tips on how do you then walk in this faith righteousness. And the first is clearly in verses 2 to 6, resist legalistic attitudes. And uh, from Paul's past, he totally understands that legalism is absolutely a killjoy. If you want to spring a leak in, in joy, a joy leak, uh, just, just start getting legalistic. It, it destroys the joy in your Christian life. It, it can ruin uh, the joy in your life. It can ruin a family. It can ruin people. It can, it can absolutely ruin churches. And so that's why Paul says in verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put, put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has uh, reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got a whole lot more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So let me give you a, a, just a simple, you can have a, a way more technical definition, but let me give you a simple definition of legalism. And that's substituting rules and relationships for your relationship with Christ. What that substitution, what that's going to do is turn the focus off of what God has done for you and it's going to get the focus on what you have to do for God. And let me tell you, the moment you flip those two around, 
your joy is going to go right down the tube. You are going to spring a joy leak. There will be no resurrection power in your life as well. So many Christians uh, start out with a lot of joy in their lives. The moment you become a Christian, I can still remember the day, December 31st, 1971, 11.45 p.m. in the hallway of the Marriott Hotels when I became a Christian. I remember jumping up, running down the hallway, throwing my hand, my fist in the air, and thinking, oh, gee, if I don't bring my fist down, I'm going to hit that light. I, can st I still remember it. It was vivid. There's, your life is just filled with that kind of joy. And then all of a sudden, in time, that joy gets dashed upon the rocks of legalism because some mature brother or sister in Christ uh, begins to tell you, you know, oh, they're excited about your new life in Christ, but I'll tell you what, uh, there are some things uh, you better stop doing and there are some things you better start doing. Matter of fact, there are 950 things you should start doing and there are 950 things you better stop doing in order to be a good Christian. And it's th these people will attend churches, and the, the very churches will say salvation is free. And, and the moment they do, they, they slap these 900 commands, things to stop, things to start. And if you're thinking it's Jesus plus, now granted, the Bible makes it real clear, a lot of those things to stop, you should stop, but it's not to get you closer to God, it's the result of your closeness to God that would inspire you to do that. See, there's a difference there. But what happens is if you think I've got to love Jesus and do all this stuff for God to accept me, for God to love me, your joy will go right down the tube. And this isn't a new phenomenon whatsoever. It happened in the New Testament. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with here. He's dealing with these Judaizers. These Judaizers were a group of people who said, that's wonderful, believe in Jesus Christ. Trust him with all your heart, no doubt. But there's also some things you need to do to add to your faith. In other words, it's Christ plus some other things. You need to do some things like keep the Sabbath laws, you, you need to do circumcision, dietary laws, etc. Now listen, Paul was an incredibly loving person. If there was a down-and-outer, if there was somebody weak, if there was somebody failing, you could not find a more loving, compassionate, encouraging person. But I'll tell you what, there is a person Paul could not tolerate. And that was somebody who was adding to the gospel or distorting the gospel or perverting the gospel or robbing the gospel of its power. And that is exactly what legalism does. It will rob the gospel of its power, and it robs Christians of their joy. So Paul feels strongly about this. He feels so strongly about this. He says, you know, the legalist then, he has a bunch of words to describe them. He calls them first dogs. Now, the word he's using for dog wasn't just a, a nice little, like, uh, where's Jim? Oh, there's Jim. You were talking to me. You all are looking for a new little dog, you know, a nice little fluffy kind of dog to take your other dog's place. Well, that's not the word that's used here. This was not a domicile pet, but this, this was a scavenger. This was a large, gross, scavenger, mangy beast. They were feared. They were hated. And uh, 
and that's why the Jews call the Gentiles these kinds of, of dogs. You know, how many of you, how many of you have a dog in here? Do you, any of you have a beware of dog sign? You don't? Well, I'll tell you, you do, okay. Well, let me tell you, if you want to make it biblical, under your beware of dog, put Philippians 3.2. Okay? <laughs> That'll make it a biblical thing to do. Philippians 3.2. Uh, he calls them evildoers. You know, that's faith plus good works. Mutilators. You know, they believed in circumcision, and it's the word para, around, tome, to cut. But that's not the word he uses here. He uses, he uses the word karatome, uh, to chop into pieces. So, I mean, he's, he's just really letting them have it, basically. So Paul's just saying that people who try and tack on a bunch of thou shalt, thou shalt nots in order to sort of please Jesus, uh, they're, they're just dogs. Watch out for them. Uh, keep away from them. They are going to absolutely rob you of your joy. There is a passage uh, and there are lots of passages that Paul talks about this. Peter talks about it. Uh, one would be Acts chapter 15. Uh, some came down from Judea. They were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. It's Jesus plus something. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the, the law of Moses. So then Peter later says in verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor uh, we have been able to bear? Then he goes on to say, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And then he says this, therefore my judgment is that we should not make it difficult or trouble, shouldn't make trouble, shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He said, don't add to the gospel. And the point is, Paul's saying here, 17 times he's saying rejoice. If, if your life is going to be a legalistic life, you can kiss joy goodbye. It's going to just get flushed down, down the uh, proverbial um, drain. It's a better word, drain. <laughs> so what's a safeguard? Let me give you a safeguard. I caught myself, Cheryl. Drain. Uh, safeguard number one. Then live each day by grace. Grace is the key to joy. Matter of fact, those two words go together. Uh, grace, charis, joy, kara. They, they, joy and grace, absolutely, they're from the same word. They go together. So if you think and now he, he's wanting to drive this point home. If you think, for some reason, by, by adding to the gospel, it's going to be able to, to help you get closer to Christ, if you think legalism can help, he says, let me tell you, I'm going to pull out every trophy I have. And if, if you can beat this, be my guest. And he starts, he starts laying it out. And he gives five examples of religious legalism uh, th that we can certainly apply these things today. So how do you know if you're falling into the trap of legalism? Well, like Paul said, well, you begin to trust in these trophies that I trusted in, like rituals circumcised on the eighth day. You know, it was a very primary uh, Jewish ritual. And then, you know, obviously that wouldn't be something that would sort of grab us as a church. But, but we might grab onto something like, well, I was baptized as a kid, or I... I I take, take communion, or I went to catechism, or I was baptized by when I were dedicated when I was 
uh, a, a baby, or I go to community group, I, I go to Bible studies, I do this, I do that, and that's going to help win favor uh, with God. Rituals or, or race of the people of Israel or the tribe of Benjamin. That was the purest tribe in all of, of Israel. Matter of fact, Paul was even named after the first king, who was a Benjamite, Saul. And, but he said, look, you can't, try, you can't add heritage to the gospel. I mean, there are so many people who will say, well, well my, my parents took me to church. My, my, my parents are, are Christians. They're believers. They took me to church. Matter of fact, my uncle is a pastor. Well, the fact of the matter is you can't get religion by osmosis. Um, the only, you, can, you, can, you can get religion by osmosis, but you can't get a relationship with Jesus through osmosis. Or something like religion. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a very religious person. You know, religion, though, is just man's attempt to get to God, but a personal relationship with Jesus is, is God getting to men and women. Or something like rules. As the law of Pharisee, he kept all the rules. As a matter of fact, not only did he keep the Ten Commandments, but he also kept the 619 commands, other commandments that, that the Israelites placed upon us these rules and regulations, or, or even reputation as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, I do all these things to try and earn favor with God. And we can so easily fall into the same, matter of fact, on the same row in every pew, you could have one person, you could have people doing the exact same thing, one doing it for the right reasons, somebody else doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, I'm, I'm doing, I read the Bible, I witness, I go to church, I go to Sunday school. Uh, and again, the point is that it's not like there's anything wrong with any of these things. It's just the problem is, the trouble is when you start thinking that these things will give you brownie points with God and get you closer to God and uh, you know, maybe win favor with God. But the fact is, the Bible teaches us so clearly that God loves us unconditionally. So Paul is just saying it's, Christianity isn't a matter of what you eat or what you drink. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's so many, so many Christians that feel like if I can just stop doing certain things, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, you can stop, you know, I, I don't, how's the expression go? I don't eat, cuss, drink, or chew, and I don't run around with girls that do. You, you know, you can, you can stop all those things. If a Christian's life is nothing more than don'ts, then you know, anybody who's dead could be a Christian, you know, because they don't <laughs> do any of those things either. Um, Romans 2 says, for no one is a Jew who is merely, merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew. See, I'm talking, it's a matter of the heart. It's not this external things to add to the gospel. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So somebody who's living by grace rather than by the law there, there are three things that are going to be very evident. They're going to worship God by the Spirit. You also see that in John chapter 4. They're going to boast in Jesus because salvation is a gift. They're not going to be boasting in their good works or what they do. 
and thirdly, they have no confidence in the flesh at all. The flesh or this old nature can't please God at all. John 6.63 says, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Or Romans 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So, uh, the true Christian life, then, is really, it's not works righteousness. The true Christian life, the one that we'll end up in joy, is this faith righteousness. To walk in faith righteousness, not only must we resist legalistic attitudes, but then secondly, we better pause to reevaluate our activities. In other words, the activities that we're engaged in, are these the things that are really trying to give us confidence uh, is, that, is that where our confidence lies? So now here Paul com compares the value of religion to the value of a relationship. And what Paul's, what Paul's conclusion is, there is absolutely no comparison between the value of rules versus the value of relationships. So he says, what you need to do is to just be a good accountant for a little bit. And go through a profit-loss statement to see what adds up. So that's what he does. He has this profit-loss in verse 7. Whatever gain or whatever profit I had, I counted or, or I um, evaluate or I assess as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I, I count everything a lot. Do you hear the profit-loss statement the Apostle Paul is going through? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness, that's the faith righteousness versus what he was talking about before, the works righteousness uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is just saying, all of those things I just talked about, those five things, he says, they're all an absolute loss. When you add them up and you do the profit loss statement, those five things I just talked about, Paul says, whether it be rituals or race or religion or rules or reputation, they're an absolute loss. They mean absolutely Nothing. They are a complete loss. They're absolutely worthless. Those things are worthless. It reminds me of this lady. She, you know, last week I was working on, how many of you are working on your tax returns? Yeah, I'm the only one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Two of us. So I was working on her tax returns. It reminded me of this lady who's trying to figure out her tax return. And so she, she deducted her husband's health club membership. And she, she took it to the tax accountant, and the tax accountant said, you can't uh, deduct your husband's uh, health membership from his taxes. She said, why not? It was a total loss. So, <laughs> so the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, all of this stuff, all of this stuff, total loss. And so Paul says, Philippians 3, in the Phillips version, I consider it mere garbage. So he said, I consider it dung. I consider it mere garbage compared to being able 
to win Christ. So the point is this. Let me give you a safeguard. Here's the second safeguard of um, this works righteousness, and that's keep your priorities in perspective. Know what's profitable for you and know what is a loss for you. In other words, to count it means where are you really going to put your confidence? That's what he's saying. Know your priorities or what are you really putting your confidence in? You know, Socrates had a statement that most philosophers are very well aware of. He said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. That's what Paul, Paul is saying. Look, it, it is worthwhile, it is very worthwhile to understand where you're putting your confidence. So he urges us to sit down, to weigh it very seriously. And uh, he's saying, look, don't lose your joy over things that really don't matter, that really don't add up. And I think the number one reason people lose their joy is because they misplace their priorities. Or they really don't understand, or, or they prioritize things that they really shouldn't be putting their confidence in. And people get so wrapped up in the things that really aren't that important. And, so, and that's what Paul has just gone through, five very various areas. And we could, we could put it this way. Don't put your confidence in things like prestige. Don't put your, I'm just using our words instead of Paul's words uh, for his uh, theocratic kind of context. Don't put your confidence. What matters most is not your prestige. It's not your pedigree. It's not your possessions. It's not your position. It's not your power. Those things really don't matter that much. Because, and you, every one of you know people, that's where they put their confidence. And the fact is, you can have your confidence in all of those things, and you know a lot of people who do, and the fact of the matter is, they can still be the most unhappy people on the planet. A lot of people right here in Iowa City can prove that point. Luke 12, 15 says, and he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of and you could say possessions, or power, or prestige, or position, power, etc. And yet, every time you turn on the television, the commercials try and absolutely convince you that, yes, you can have it all. You, you, you can have that car. You can have that house. You, you can have that physique. You can, you can have it all. The fact of the matter is, Paul's saying, no, you can't have it all. And that's one of the most important lessons we will ever learn in life. And that is, life consists of trade-offs. If you are going to get something, that means you're going to have to give up something in order to gain it. You cannot have it both ways. That's what Paul is saying over and over and over. You can't have it both ways. Um, when you become a Christian, guess what? you are going to have to give everything up. Unless that kernel of wheat falls to the earth and die, it'll remain alone. But if it does, then it will, it will bear a much fruit. Let me give you a real quick, if you want to write down a passage that goes along with this, uh, Mark chapter 10. You know the guy who thought he could have it all in Mark chapter 10 was the uh, rich young man. He was sitting on his journey. A man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, good teacher, what must I do? And here's the whole question. I want to inherit eternal life. 
And what did Jesus tell him to do? You know, go, go sell it all, give it to the poor. And disheartened, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So where was his confidence? Where was this guy's confidence in Mark 10? In his what? In his possessions. That's where his confidence was. And Jesus is saying, you can't have it all. To gain one thing, you've got to give up something else. Give up one thing, you can have something else. And, and so Jesus goes on to say how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of God. It's not like there's anything wrong with riches. He's just saying if that's where your confidence is, you're not going to ever enjoy the gospel. Um, and then he says this. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who is left, and now he goes through the list. He goes through no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or land for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive. In other words, can't have it all, one without the other. You give up all that. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. See, the whole illustration starts with a guy looking for eternal life, but his confidence was in possessions. He says, look, this isn't where it's at. So Mark 10 would be a, a good gospel example of what Paul is talking about uh, right here. So Paul, all Paul is saying is this. What I have now is worth so much more than everything I have ever given up. And then so, for example, when I, when I became a Christian, I began to experience some of these wonderful trade-offs. So I gave up, willingly, I gave up guilt, and what I gained was a clear conscience and forgiveness. Or I can give up worry and gain power for living. I can give up frustration and lack of purpose and gain real meaning and purpose in life. I'll gladly give up hell for heaven. I will give up trying to solve my own problems on my own power, and I will gladly receive the resources of resurrection power. That's what Paul is trying to say. Jim Elliott put it this way. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can't lose. That's what Paul's talking about. So let me ask you, what are you afraid to give up for God? Are you afraid to give something up for God? That could be the very thing that's robbing you of joy. So, to walk in this faith righteousness instead of works righteousness then? Third thing is we need to refocus our ambitions. Lasting joy comes from my ambition is I want to know Christ. If you look at that Philippians 3, 1 to 11, look at the progression. I want to, verse 8, I want to gain Christ. Verse 9, 
I, I want to be found in Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any possible means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's glorification. He's talking about salvation that ends in glorification. So Paul's number one goal, his number one goal, his ambition in life is to gain Christ, is to be found in Christ, to know Christ, and then to be glorified with Christ. I want to read that verse in the Amplified Version. I think, I think they do a really good job of the Amplified Version. For my determined purpose is that I may know Christ, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more strongly and more clearly. There's a huge difference between knowing and knowing about, and I'll talk about that in a second. So the safeguard is get to know Christ better and better. So notice real quick as we read through that, for the Apostle Paul, the experience of knowing Christ, getting to know him, it was personal, it was powerful, it was painful, and it was practical. Personal, that I may know Christ. And that's the word for know is intimately know him, personally know him. Now, when I came in and, you know, said hi to many of you, I, I know a, a lot of women in this sanctuary. But I know, the word he uses here, as I know Cheryl. I know what makes her tick. I know what ticks her off. I, I, you know, I, I know what makes her happy, what makes her thrilled. You know, I know, I know those things that cause her, you know, to cringe a little, like even me using an illustration of her makes her cringe a little bit. But, but so I, I, that's the word that he's using here. I want to really know Christ, a personal experience, but it's a powerful experience, the power of his resurrection. And Paul talks about that in Galatians and Ephesians. That's that resurrection power he's counting on. But it's a painful experience. I want to share in his sufferings. Paul rejoiced that he was, he, he rejoiced that he was able to be poured out as a drink offering. We found that in Philippians chapter 2, that he was able to take the blows that were intended for Jesus. Paul willingly took the blows that were intended for Jesus on himself. And then the beauty of this is, is when we take these blows that were intended for Jesus, it causes us to really shine as lights to the world because it freaks the world out that our response is so different. But it's also a practical experience. And, and again, remember, where is Paul when he writes this? Where is he? He's in what? Prison. Yeah, he's in prison. And what's the word that's used throughout Philippians? Joy. And he just freaked everybody out. He's in prison, facing potential death, and yet he's just filled with joy. But it's practical, becoming like him in his death. And Paul actually died to self and lived for Christ, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think a, a good verse that would sort of summarize this would be Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
But unfortunately, uh, that's not the experience of a lot of Christians. It sort of reminds me of this young mother in the middle of the night. Uh, she hears from her son's bedroom this kaboom, and she goes, oh, no. Uh, my son fell off the top bunk. I did that so many times as a little kid. I always wanted to sleep on the top bunk, and I would fall off onto the floor. Mom would come in. And so the mother goes in, and sure enough, the little kid uh, fell and, and hit the floor. She said, you know, oh, Tommy, what happened? What happened? And his reply was this, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And I think that's the problem with a lot of Christians. You know, you, you get into the Christian life, you become a Christian, and you never really grow. You, you just stay too close to where you, to where you got in. And um, if so, there's not going to be the joy, there's not going to be the power um, that, that you could if you grow more and more. When you think of the Apostle Paul, that's all he wanted to do. Even in prison, all he could think about was growing more in Christ. So let me quickly just give you three little keys to growing in Christ. Uh, Stuart Briscoe, this is real famous for him, these three things uh, to do to grow in Christ. Number one, it takes time. Uh, it takes time to get to know anybody. Uh, it takes time uh, to spend uh, with the Lord. Spending time alone with God is so critical. Walking with God is so critical. Um, let me ask you, how, how many of you have really developed a real close relationship only in a crowd, and, and you're never together. How many of you married somebody you never really got one-on-one uh, -on -one with? You just met them in a crowd and you married them. You know, probably not, not many, you know, because you needed that one-on-one -on -one time. Now, I am not minimizing the, the impact that this is a koinonia, this is a partnership, that the church is certainly important. But even then, I mean, Jesus had to broke from his disciples and got away because he needed time alone with his heavenly father. And that's all Stuart Briscoe is saying. You need to have, absolutely, you need time together in partnership and a koinonia and a fellowship with other believers, but you also need time alone uh, with, with God. So time is critical. Talking to God, prayer is just absolutely uh, critical. You show me a couple that no longer talk, I'll show you a couple that are destined for, for big problems. There's a quote from a guy, much prayer, much joy. Little prayer, little joy. No prayer, no joy. So time, talk, and trust. And relationships are built on trust. And God wants you to learn to trust him. What God wants you to learn is that he is so reliable. I think this is one of the reasons that the Lord allows us to go through difficult times. It's, I think one of the reasons is all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere that spring just explodes in our garage because these are times that we can depend on God because God is reliable. He can be counted on in every situation. He is faithful. And that's something you're not going to learn overnight. I mean, that's something, I gave you two examples this morning of just getting ready to preach, whether it be ice and snow or whether it be garage springs breaking. It's something God constantly is going to have, uh, have, have you go through to learn it experientially. So again, pa Paul is in jail waiting to die. And uh, the only thing he wants is to know Christ better and better. So let me ask you, uh, how are you in the joy 
issue. 17 times in this, in this book. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal, but where are you when it comes to losing your joy? Let me ask you another question. Has your Christian life, has it sort of settled into the routine of the Christian life? If so, let me, let me ask you just which one of these killjoys. We've, we've met a few killjoys in this passage. So which killjoy is sort of getting to you? It, it could be legalism. You know, have you begun to slowly substitute rules and regulations for your relationship with Christ? You know, the longer I get to know Jesus, I think the more convinced I am, anyway, is that what, what Christians tend uh, to label as morals have nothing to do with morality at all. What it really has to do is with a Christian's inability to celebrate life. And so it's very easy for us to sort of reduce Christianity down to the do's and to the don'ts. And these iffy Christians, you know, if I do this or if I don't do that, then God will love me more, etc. cetera. Uh, the fact is God loves you just as much on your good days as he loves you on your bad days. God's love is absolutely unconditional, and legalism can take the joy right out of your life. It'll just choke the joy right out of it. So um, perhaps you're here. Uh, perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ personally, and uh, you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, look, I am a, a good person. I am a law-abiding person. I don't really think I need Jesus because if, if my good works, you know, the works righteousness, if I can just do the good things that can sort of outweigh the bad things, then, you know, heaven will be mine. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it would, that would be great. If God graded on the curve, that'd be awesome. Just do a little bit better than the bad stuff. But the problem is God doesn't grade on the curve. The only standard that God grades on is the absolute perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so you need a savior. So it could be legalism that's stealing the joy. It could be materialism. It could be like that, that rich young guy. You know, his, his confidence was in his possessions or confidence could be like the Apostle Paul in your heritage, on your prestige, or what you've done, et cetera. You know, that, that is never, that's never going to work. That's never going to work. It could be on your things, um, if that's really where your confidence is. You know, a passage that I love is Acts chapter 27. And uh, you probably never think of it this way, but you know the Apostle Paul, they're, they're on the boat, they're, the, ship, the big shipwreck deal in Acts 27. Do you remember Acts 27 about chapter 27, verses 18 to 20 or so. They get in that huge storm. There's a huge nor'eastern, and, and the ship is going under. And you remember what, what the crew had to do, passengers, crew, everybody? They had to start jettisoning everything. They jettisoned their personal property. They jettisoned a cargo. It even says that they jettisoned their tackle. Uh, all hope of being saved, they had to abandon. I think, to me, it's just such a beautiful parallel of life. Um, sometimes the very things that we're carrying through in life are the very things that, that really 
we've, we've got to chunk it, chunk it over the side, so to speak, if, if we really want to experience salvation, if we really want to experience these words that we'll see over and over and over, if we really want to experience joy, if we really want to experience the power of resurrection, resurrection power, and then in chapter 4, if we really want to experience peace that God has. So it could be legalism that's stealing your joy. It could be materialism or things like that that are stealing your joy. Or it could be uh, just life without purpose. And I think today people are looking for joy in all the wrong places. And uh, joy, really, we found out today, really comes through Christ. And uh, that comes from asking that question, oh, Lord, uh, what must I do to know you personally? And he points us right to uh, the Savior. Well, let me, let me pray. And then, uh, Doug, are you coming back up after I pray? No? Oh, we're going to sing. So, Liz, do you want everybody to stand or not stand? Sure. Go ahead and let's stand. And then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, um, we know that you want us to experience real joy. And I hope, Father, that you will help people do today what they'll be glad that they did in all of eternity. That today, they're going to set aside all the things that they've been trusting in. It could be riches or religion or rules or relationships or, or health or possessions, heritage, reputation. Just lay it aside and start to establish a relationship with you. Lord, help all of us to help me to resist legalistic attitudes, this, this works righteousness, and help me instead to live each day by grace. Lord, help me to reevaluate where my confidence lies, uh, to examine my own life, and help me to keep first things first. Help me, Lord, too, to refocus my ambition on gaining Christ, being found in him, to know him. Oh, Lord, that I might be found in him and have this faith righteousness, that, that very thing that will result in joy and resurrection power and peace and ultimate glorification. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.